Hi, and welcome to Australia Academy Dern History Department GCSE podcast. These series of podcasts will focus on the four units studied at Australia Academy Dern, those being Medicine Through Time, American West, Early Elizabethan England, and the Weimar and Nazi Germany. If you're not an Australia Academy Dern student, or you don't currently study these units, then these podcasts probably aren't going to be that useful to you. Before I begin, it's also worth mentioning that these podcasts are not meant to replace your exercise books, textbooks, other revision materials, or other forms of media revision, such as YouTube. The purpose of these podcasts is to fill those 5-10 to minutes that you have whilst you're waiting for your tea to be ready, or whilst you're walking to school or waiting for the bus. If you have any questions about what I'm discussing, feel free to find me on Twitter at AtcoHistory, or on Instagram at TheTieGuy__Teacher. This is episode 5b and we'll continue the focus on the Western Front, which is the topic that the first three questions on paper one will be on. During this podcast I'll focus on the four other areas that I didn't have time to mention in my last podcast, those being weapons, injuries and illnesses, the chain of evacuation and the advancements in medicine. As I mentioned at the end of my last podcast though, if it does seem like I'm talking a bit too long on these subjects, I may split this one into two and therefore have an episode 5c, but we'll see how we go. So, let's begin by looking at the weapons used on the Western Front. Essentially, there were four to discuss, with a bonus one at the end. These four weapons can be remembered by using the acronym RAMS. This stands for Rifle, Artillery, Machine Gun and Shrapnel. The rifle that the British were using was the Lee Enfield. This state-of-the-art gun was so effective and reliable that there are police forces in the world today that are still using them. The Lee Enfield could fire 10 bullets before needing to be reloaded. This was a huge advantage over the Germans because they had to reload their Mauser rifle every 5 bullets. A bullet shot from a rifle would not only cause the obvious injury and damage, it would also take fibres from a soldier's dirty clothing and carry the infection into the body, although I'll discuss this later in the pod. The artillery was a modern take on the cannon. It could fire shells over 30 kilometres, although a range of 15 kilometres was more likely. The key idea with the artillery was not to hit the target with the shell, but to have it explode overhead and rain shrapnel over the enemy. And I may as well discuss shrapnel here rather than wait until the end. Shrapnel was the name given to the small pieces of metal or glass, or anything they could lay their hands on. Shrapnel was not supposed to kill with impact. It was designed to cause damage through infection. The use of artillery in shrapnel was responsible for around 50% of all fatalities. 58% of all German deaths were caused by the artillery. The final weapon is the machine gun. These guns were much less personal to the soldiers. If one was free, anyone could jump on and start firing. No special training was needed, as it was just that simple. The machine guns were so reliable, it is believed that during the Battle of the Somme, 10 British machine guns, known as Vickers machine guns, fired continuously for 12 hours, firing off an estimated 1 million rounds without a single failure. Anybody hit by a bullet fired from a machine gun could expect bone shattering and pierced organs. The final weapon that doesn't fit in with the RAMS acronym is GAS. This was a new weapon that in 1914 wasn't really being used by the British. First used at the Second Battle of Ypres in 1915, the Germans fired chlorine gas at the British front line. Chlorine gas was not designed to kill, it's designed to cause pain and disable the opposition. Just like when you go swimming and after being in the pool for too long your eyes start to burn, chlorine attacks the moisture in your body, so namely the eyes, the mouth and the throat. This affects eyesight and breathing. Once the Germans had used chlorine gas, the Allies started to develop their own version to use on the Germans. However, by the time they perfected it, the Germans had moved on to phosgene gas. This gas was designed to kill. 
it worked in the same way as chlorine gas but much quicker and much deadlier. Only around 5% of all fatalities in World War I were caused by gas and this number is so high because of phosgene. Again, the Allies developed this gas but the Germans were one step ahead and had mustard gas by 1917. This gas was not named mustard due to its colour or its smell because it was in both colourless and odourless. It was named because of the huge yellow blisters that appeared on the body of the victims. Mustard gas could also remain dormant in the ground for up to 12 hours, meaning an attack could happen in the morning and still affect people in the evening who weren't even present at the original attack. This seems a logical place to discuss injuries and illnesses. I'll start with illnesses because there were three that affected the soldiers the most. The first of these I mentioned briefly in my last podcast, trench foot. Trench foot was when the feet were left in cold water for a long time and the body stopped sending blood to the area, believing it is better used elsewhere. This leads to numbness in the area to such an extent that you could stab the foot with a knife and the soldier wouldn't feel a thing. If left untreated, it could lead to death. If the feeling starts to come back, that's when the real pain begins. Imagine getting pins and needles but on a scale a million times worse. There were stories of soldiers crying in pain, begging for the doctors to amputate their foot so the pain would go away. In order to stop this problem, soldiers were issued with three pairs of socks and a foot buddy. The idea being is that you would inspect his feet and he would inspect yours. The second illness to come from the trenches was trench fever. This illness was passed by lice in the soldier's clothing. The fever would strike like flu and leave the victim unable to perform the simplest of functions. Although death was very unlikely, you would be unable to perform your duties for around five days. The final illness I'm going to discuss is shell shock. This was a mental illness that could sometimes have physical symptoms. In some soldiers' cases, their bodies were just not prepared for the sounds, shocks and terror of the war, and so therefore their body began shutting down. Initially, those soldiers who displayed any mental symptoms were simply shot for being cowards and looking for the easy way out. Thankfully, more knowledge was built up on the subject and those suffering were given treatment not always appropriate by our standards today. If you want to investigate this further, the BBC has some very interesting footage on YouTube showing people being treated. Now, I mentioned earlier when talking about the rifle damage that sometimes the bullets would take an infection into the body from the soldier's clothing. This became known as gas gangrene and it was something that surgeons at the time of the First World War found very difficult to deal with initially. This was mainly because you couldn't see the infection and therefore they had no idea what the soldiers was actually suffering from. Although using chemicals such as carbolic acid did prove effective, unless every single scrap of damaged tissue and fibres were removed from the body, the patient could suffer a very painful death. Okay, I'm making an executive decision to leave the podcast here and we'll pick up the other two issues in the next pod. I wouldn't want to bombard you with too much, let's keep things light and easy. So, that concludes this podcast. This has been part two of what will now be three pods on the Western Front. As always, if you've not listened to my other podcasts on the history of medicine, then please check them out. Also remember, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover in more detail, then contact me through Twitter or Instagram or leave me a comment in the comment section here and I'll see what I can do. So, until next time I'm talking to you about the wonders that is GCSE history, thanks for listening. Give yourselves a high five for taking control of your revision. Keep working hard and make your own history. <laughs>